Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. You have tuned into Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, October 13th with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson of The Athletic. I'm Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated, and we're here today to talk about Nordame Stanford this weekend. Nordame, what's it up to, Tim? I mean, it's 16 and a half. Nordame's a 16 and a half I got point all favorite. The too. Strange. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I would imagine that it, it has a chance to continue to rise. But hey, before we talk about Stanford, we. We caught wind of the news the other day in Tuesday's practice at Bo Bauer. Uh, we weren't sure at the time what the injury was. We know that he's been battling with a shoulder left side of his body injury, but on Tuesday at practice, he injured a knee and he is out for the rest of the season. His uh, attempt to surpass Kurt Heinisch as Nordheim's all-time leading um, participant in games has, has come to an end. So Heinisch has the record. Until uh, Houston Griffith, if he plays the rest of his games this year, he will be the leader. If he doesn't, Josh Lug is one game behind him. But Tim, you said before we started recording, everybody, you know, everybody has a great deal of respect for Bo Bauer from day one when he came to Notre Dame as a freshman and was an impact physical player on special teams. You hate to see it happen. Yeah, you think back to Jonas Gray on senior day, but that was and Capron Lewis Moore in the championship game. But that's more along the lines of, ooh, that hurts their pro future. This is for Bo Bauer. It's it's rough for his I mean, he's such a dedicated captain and player to to start your August or end your August camp by saying, I don't care if I start, I want to be on all four special teams. It's really important to me. I I, I helped build that. It's and look, he was hurt. He was hurt, unrelated to this, playing hurt, and he was playing on all the special teams. So Football and Notre Dame are very important to Bo Bauer. It's that's a tough break for him. Yeah, it sounds like basically the until I got it's like a, a total destruction of the knee. Um, you know, all three ligaments, meniscus. So it's that's pretty brutal on top of the fact that he's, you know, needs a shoulder that has to be fixed too. So um really is port allotted at Notre Dame. Um, you know, kind of one of the uh, somebody that Notre Dame should celebrate as much as possible um either the rest of the season i mean it's kind of you know avery davis ish in terms of just like man that guy really put up with a lot sacrificed a lot to play here because he wanted to play here um that's that's the kind of story that uh you know notre dame really should be celebrating and really i mean really significantly impacts his opportunity as he attempts to to move on to the next level it's he's going to be in rehab for quite a while won't be able to show himself during January and February workouts, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a tough blow for him and tough blow for Notre Dame because now uh, they get a little bit younger but I, at linebacker, but I'm sure that means that Prince Collie has a greater opportunity to participate, which will make a lot of fans happy, and he does have some real explosiveness and, and a guy that looks like he's going to help Notre Dame. Yeah, Tim? One more thing on Bo Bauer. Yep. Imagine needing basically a new shoulder and leveling that hit at the goal line against Brigham Young. Yeah. I mean, and that was a massive yeah, hit. That's that's a uh, that's quite a that's a warrior football player, right? Yeah. There. Well, we didn't see him much after that, so you wonder if maybe that hit in and of itself didn't was good. a setback to the <laughs> yeah. shoulder. Or, uh, yeah. I mean, the kid's beaten up, man. He's he's got he's he's got a couple surgeries to deal with, which is 
it's it's pretty hard to imagine. Well, anyway, let's move on to Stanford. I wrote my Thursday thoughts today and uh, couldn't help but express some of my thoughts on on the defensive football that's being played at Stanford. And Tim, we talked about, I mean, the level of play is good as this Stanford defense was just a few years ago. Certainly, yeah. you know, eight, nine, ten years ago when they were absolutely outstanding. Um but they're not they're not a good defensive team. I know Marcus Freeman said today that they're physical on the defensive side of the ball, and he's watched a hell of a lot more film than I have. But the, a word that would not come to mind for me with Stanford's defense is physical. No, the days are gone. It, I mean, it was – I remember getting texts from people during Stanford games, like, where do we get one of these nail-chewing linebackers that Stanford has? And they had their party, to the, party at the quarterback, 46 sacks – Back in the day, that they had fifty. They had fifty-seven in twenty twelve. That was probably after the party. That was probably the height of the party. Then they had plenty of yeah. parties for quarterback. That's ridiculous. But it's yeah, it's it's weird to watch them. But it's it's not a one year thing. I mean, they haven't been able to run the ball all that well for four, four, five years. Maybe I think they were still a successful team in, in eighteen, but not running the ball well. It's just a strange thing to see. They did change fronts in the offseason. I don't, I don't know the answer for Stanford. Um, there's a reason Vegas has big buildings. I want to bring that up right now because I don't see an answer for Stanford in this game, but you know, maybe we're, we'll deal with that later on, but I, I really think Notre Dame can run the ball on Stanford all day long. Yeah. Cause I mean, everybody can run the ball on Stanford. They're 126 in the country in yards per carry allowed. They've forced her two turnovers all seasons dead last or tied for last with Notre Dame. Like they don't, they don't do anything well defensively. And I mean, if this was, Notre Dame of early September, I might wonder if Notre Dame can run the ball on anybody just because like Notre Dame's run game wasn't operating or functioning at that point. But uh, that was a long time ago. Um, Notre Dame can run the ball now, even on decent defensive fronts and Stanford's defensive front is terrible. So it's, I just have a hard time seeing how, how Stanford holds up if you cannot stop the run. Yeah. I will. I, their interior defensive line. I, I said it, they, uh, number 51, uh, number 94, number 40. He's a Phillips. I, I, is, is he a brother of the Phillips standout they, that they had at, at, at the nose? I'm, I'm not sure about that. Pete, there, I do have two defensive stats that I'll say for the second pe- segment because it ties in with a question where I looked at it, It's like, why are they good in those stats? I'll save it for the second segment, but it's like, it makes no sense because they can't stop the run. They're giving up 5.6 yards per carry. Um, 431 yards total offense per game. Now they have, you know, they have played, they had to play USC, Washington, and at Oregon back to back to back weeks. They played, they played some, they played some, some good teams. But when they scored first against Oregon State, that was the first lead they had had in seven games. In seven games, it was the first lead they had had. It extended back to last year. Their last, pardon me, against Power Five. Against Power Five, yeah, 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 against Power Five, and their <laughs> their last win against the Pac twelve team was number three rated Oregon last year, and I mean I don't know how that happened well, other than <laughs> yeah, I mean Oregon ended up losing four games, so they weren't quite as good as everybody thought at that at that stage of the season. They beat USC last year at at USC too, but that was a that was a different USC team. So now we say all that. Offensively, yes, they are very, very dangerous. Tanner McKee, 6'6", 226. It looks like a pro quarterback, not mobile at all. So if Notre Dame puts a pass rush on, he is not going to get away. 
He's Jack Cohn when it comes to that, uh, but throws a, throws a beautiful ball, has a bunch of receivers, a really good tight end. And they, they actually, they can run it a little bit with the, with Casey Filkins. I, I, that I, I did agree with Marcus Freeman, his comments about him today. He's a very resourceful back. They can throw it to him. He can return it. They lost EJ Smith, the son of Emmett Smith, who was a little bit more of a breakaway back, but the last game that EJ Smith played, he fumbled twice. So that, that was an issue, but I do like Wilk, uh, Filkins. Their receivers, Higgins, Wilson, tight end, Urasic is good. Uh, Bryson Tremaine, they've got weapons, and they're big, and they're they're long, and and McKee can really throw it, but he can't move. And so Notre Dame needs to put up a good four-man pass rush and, and, and get him on the move because that's not his game. And on that note, uh, I did ask about Howard Cross. Uh, not practiced Tuesday, practiced Wednesday. I don't know what that means in terms of his overall volume of snaps. I'm probably would be – whether he starts or not, being backup level snaps, right? With Riley Mills and Chris Smith trying to get Howard Cross back uh, when it's very important. Although we always say those things, and that's not how college football coaches or players operate. It's very important to them that he plays as many snaps as humanly possible every game. But I would think Howard Cross probably will see his work elevate as the games go on. Um, and the treat Bracey, Marcus Freeman mentioned that uh, he thinks they'll get something from Bracey. That's tough for me to see how he hurt his hamstring and he's a cornerback and Nick is going to go in there and play. So that might just be a little gamesmanship for uh, Jaden Mickey getting a lot of nickel snaps in this game. Yeah, it's. I mean, Notre Dame's pressure has been good this year. Um, Didn't really get after Jaron Hall a whole lot, but I think that probably had more to do with his threat as a runner. Um, You know, with the option plays, you can't really just sort of tee off. Tanner McKee, you can tee off, and they've got a couple backup or – return one returning starter and one returning backup offensive lineman. Like it's just, we think about Notre Dame's offensive line when they've been down a couple starters, it hasn't looked good. Um, and that's sort of where Stanford is right now. Yeah. Left tackle Walter Rouse is out for this game. Right guard Levi Rogers is out and he was a replacement for a starter that was injured. So they're definitely banged up. I did. I asked Marcus Freeman about this today because they have added you know, the slow mesh running play that we see that Wake Forest has made famous, which is a, it's, yeah, it's a real, it's a real pain in the butt uh, to deal with that. And I thought Marcus uh, Freeman gave a good explanation of the dilemma that it creates for linebackers, because when you, when you stretch out that mesh point, the linebacker doesn't, what's he going to do? He has to respect the run and it creates some gaps, you know, behind the second level of the, the linebackers. And so, and, and then McKee will do a really good job of holding onto the mesh, holding onto the mesh, and then actually throwing out of it, which puts a lot of pressure on the corner. So it's a, it's a, you almost, you almost kind of hate to see that kind of offense, you know, I mean, it just, you know what, you know what I'm, yeah, we've no, talked about you. this. Well, and, and really, I would imagine that people are watching what, Tommy Reese is doing with the scan offense and saying something similar to that. I agree. Uh, did you hear? I don't know if Tommy Reese, I don't think Tommy Reese does, but it's a chance someone Tommy Reese knows reads Monday Musings because he opened his commentary of his own offense by using my same word. And it's a unique one to use too. He goes, Yes, it can be arduous. When I asked him about the offense, that's exactly what I said Monday Musings. Oh, wow. Arduous way to go about things because it is, everything has to go right for them to score a touchdown. So people are like, what's wrong with Tommy Reese in the red zone? Well, they didn't gain a yard on a play where they had to. That's what goes wrong because they right. do not, 
that's why the Jaden Thomas play was so big, but you need one of those a game, every game to be a better yeah. offense. And it's, it's fun to watch when they execute, but it's kind of like 2000, excuse me, 2000, it's kind of like 2000, but it's kind of like 2020 where, boy, it looks good when they execute. They just look like the most well-oiled machine. And when something's a little off function, it makes it tough. And I, uh, I feel like they are rolling on offense, but I want it. I would love to see the next step of getting a layup as Pete and I like to call it, where you just, yep. That's a, that was a quick touchdown. They, yeah, they need some you need, in their lives. how do you get layups, Tim? You have dynamic yeah. receivers on the outside. Right. Well, they really could, uh, you know, you're right though. They really could, could use being up 10, nothing at the eight minute mark of the first quarter. You know, they have, not, you get, led, they have not scored a touchdown in the first quarter and they've not led after the first quarter. Oh either. my gosh. Well, Stanford's had difficulty getting leads themselves. So it could be, I don't know, at the end of the first quarter, it could be minus three to. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's important that they, and I know everybody is, everybody is looking for Notre Dame to, you know, roll somebody so you can get a bunch of young players in there. And I'm sure that, you know, the coaching staff would like to do that as well. Not, I, I you know, I think, I think we on the outside look at, like getting Angeli quarterback snaps. I mean, yeah, that's important if Pine something three. happens to Pine, he has to play full time. But if Pine, let's say Pine is the quarterback all year, a handful of snaps is not going to make a significant difference to Angeli. You've got to play right. extensively in games in order to really, really advance and benefit from it. Yeah, whether we're right or not, we just think that 10 Steve Angeli snaps helps him if he has to go into Clemson when Pine hurts his ankle. That might not matter, honestly. But yeah, we, that we yeah, that, that scenario, it probably wouldn't make a whole lot of difference. You think, you think otherwise too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, anything from interviews uh Monday? We had, of course, both uh offensive coordinator Tommy Reese and defensive coordinator Al Golden offensively. We had Blake Fisher. I'd never interviewed Blake Fisher. That was yeah. the yeah, he's, he's the fun. first time. And then Jaden Thomas. And then on the defensive side, Chris Smith and and uh, and Ben Morrison, anything from from those interviews, guys, that you want to uh, bring to the forefront? I appreciated Al Golden saying that the safety blitz was a bad call. Yeah, um, he, on his he part. owned that. You don't, yeah. you don't get that a lot from coaches. Um, so I thought I thought that was that was kind of interesting. I, I I spent pretty much all my time with Ben Morrison, who I think is just a really dynamic, mature individual. Um, he sure is. You can, and it's it, I. I think on Monday or Tuesday, whenever we did our last podcast, like I talked about, you know, Marcus Freeman referencing like <laughs> sort of the coaching he received in high school. He didn't play in a sea ball, get ball. And, you know, he said that, you know, his dad who played in the NFL would like basically picks apart his film all the time. Um, you know, just sort of practice fundamentals. Uh, when he got to high school, he was working on as a sophomore. He was calling out route concepts. Um, which is just like, it makes sense why he was so far ahead of the curve, but it's also kind of one of those things like as you watch high school tape or you see people playing all American games, like you don't know any of that. Um, but then when they show up, it's really significant. So it's just sort of a reminder that like, Oh yeah, there are more, there are things that are important in addition to your 40 time and your vertical jump. Like Ben Morrison is a really, really heady football player. Actually Al Golden. Um, offered some freshman commentary too that I think our readers probably have not heard yet or our listeners have not heard yet in that we had not ever heard of Jalen Sneed pushing right since since August it was scout team scout team scout team 
Uh, we didn't notice him at all in the spring, did not have incredible feedback, but he said what he was specifically asked about Snead and Ziegler. And he made a point of saying, Jalen has made a lot of progress. We traveled him last week. It wasn't because we were traveling a lot of guys. We traveled him because of his progress. So that's, I'm not saying he's playing. In fact, I don't think he will, but that is really good news because I had not yet heard all right. those positive reports. Yeah. Well, Marcus Freeman pretty much said that he's, you know, he's not ready to be in the rotation, but yeah. L so. Golden did talk about Prince Collie and he literally said after just coming off the practice field, that Prince Collie had the best practice he's ever had since after, L Golden's been there after having a defensive highlight play along with Bo Bowers. Right, 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 right. So we'll, uh, you know, obviously we're going to see a lot more of, of, of Prince Collie now as they get him involved following the, the uh, season ending injury to Bo Bowers. We're going to be back with segment two, burning up the boards. Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at doodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Burning Up the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans, make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, and tickets, and more, making Game Day your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 to save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, Burning Up the Boards, our first question is from DMB346. Are we all a bit overconfident heading into the Stanford game? I understand and respect that their defense, especially against the run, is horrific, but they do have a good QB and decent skilled players around him. Do you see their offense giving Notre Dame problems? Sure. I mean, for a lot of the things that we said in the the first segment, the the uh, the slow mesh and the RPOs are, you know, leave your uh, DBs and your linebackers in a dilemma. And Tanner McKee's good. I mean, he's got. He's going to play in in the NFL, or he's certainly going to get a good shot. He has great size. He just has, uh, you know, there's there's a strong arm, and then there's a long arm, is how I refer to it. And when when he throws a ball, I mean, it just keeps, it just carries and keeps going and going and going. Throws a beautiful ball, a uh, little bit, a little bit long in the throwing motion, but he is six foot six, two twenty six. So you're going to have that. Uh, and he, you know, he can do some sidearm stuff. Uh, when he has to, you know, to to complete a pass, uh, something in a flat. So he's he's multifaceted. He's good. He's got good receivers. I, I could Notre Dame have a hangover from? Yeah, okay, hangover. Terry Benedict said that in our in our question. The hangover from going to Vegas. I, you know, there could be something to that. It's a it's a a longer, I mean, bigger trip. They didn't get home till what was it? Six a.m. on on Sunday. So, I mean, there could be a little bit of a hangover from, from the BYU game. But Stanford, I mean, they had their hearts ripped out against Oregon State in the fourth they quarter. They had to – yeah, I mean, they had the game one, and they totally blew it. Hopefully, I mean, 
I think Notre Dame's hangover was against Marshall. But they get but it didn't get yeah. back until like a day later than they were expecting. And you're not supposed to have more than one hangover in a six game span. So right. Yeah. You should no. know better by then. But I mean Tanner McKee last year against Notre Dame, good defense, right? He went twenty or twenty-five for 172 yards and a touchdown. Like what not amazing, but more than living and breathing. Um, he's a good quarterback. So I I would think that Stanford will score some points. Um, that Notre Dame will get hit on some long pass plays or maybe a long run where they have a bust here or there. But um I also think that Stanford will allow 45 points. So I don't think that's going to happen for right. Stanford. I, I, it's a good point. I, I think they'll get make some hate offensively because I think they'll be without Bracey. I don't think Cross will be at his best. Jacob Lacey's no longer there. I just took out three of your 15 players, right? Three of your 15, 16 best players. And, oh, and Bo, and Bo Bauer. So there's four of your 20 yeah. guys that were contributing. I, I mean, that's it stands to reason. You can get something on those guys. Prince Colley might make a couple of good plays, and then you find out, oh, there goes that run fit. Yeah. So you know, there's a chance for some offense. Their receivers are not, I think even your uh, insider, Tim, said they're not real speedy per se, but – Tremaine is 6'4", 212. Humphreys is 6'5", 205. Higgins is 6'3", 234. Michael Wilson, 6'2", 209. And Yurosik, and the tight end, is 6'4", 242. A good athlete that can, they do a lot of different things with him. So, I mean, that's a, you know, that's some significant size in your corners and safeties have to deal with that size. Your, uh, your linebackers are compromised by the, the slow mesh. And so, yeah, there's some, some issues there. And Pete, I, you know, if Nord, Notre Dame should score in the 40s, they should. Yep. In an arduous manner. Next, from <laughs> not, not, not Jay Tafel one, with Tariq Bracey questionable for the Stanford game, who would you play at nickel? The number two nickel. I would too, yes. Is, is Jaden Mickey. I, I realize that he's struggled, but the there's a reason why. Worse. There's a reason why he's the number two nickel because they felt he was the second best guy on in the secondary to do it. Now, I wonder, and they probably can't do this now, but, you know, Morrison's a little bit longer. It was interesting that Marcus Freeman said he's longer than you think. I think he said that on Monday. Wouldn't, wouldn't Ben Morrison be a pretty good nickel? I mean, the way that he can handle, the way he can mirror a receiver and change a direction. I'm not saying they're going to do that this game, but I, I would think that he has – he has some nickel skills too. I'm not sure who they would play corner though. Right. I mean, no, right. I get that. I get that. You know, could he play nickel for sure? But yeah, then, no, I'm talking, I'm, not, I'm sure. not talking about for this game per se. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't, it's, I feel like Ramon, I mean, didn't Ramon Henderson get some nickel snaps last year? I know he comes in sort of like a dime box linebacker a little yeah. bit. Um, and that would but, make sense again because of the size that he's dealing with in the receiving yeah. course. So that would make sense. He at one yeah, but, point was the reserve nickel uh, before J- at, they ended spring with Ramon Henderson as a reserve nickel. We had a long conversation with O'Leary on that topic. Uh, then Jade Mickey became the obvious choice, but Priest, you make a great point. This would be the team to play him at nickel because yeah. you could see bigger, you're seeing big receivers. You could see a tight end and you're a sec flexed out. Yeah. Those guys no. would take advantage of Mickey for sure. No. And that's, that's a good point. That's a good question too, because I wasn't thinking in terms of Henderson, but I would imagine that he can as well. Question from Kay Bailey four. Sorry. Can you comment on what the defense has done? Well, despite sometimes appearing like a mess, they have seemed to hold all their opponents under their averages in both scoring and yards. How is this possible when it seems like the linebackers are underperforming and guys like Foskey haven't generated the highlight reels we expected? Well, as a, as a pass rush in general, they're where they're in the top 25 in sacks. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, they've, they've struggled at times. There's no doubt about it, but that you can go like, if you went series by series, yes, you would say a, a high, a fairly high percentage of the time, Notre Dame's defense has been, has been very good. And then it's the last two games. It's been explosive plays in the second half, two against North Carolina and one BYU. And then you, you inevitably you get the long drive at least one in every game, but there's a lot of series where they've been pretty darn good too. I think below their averages is sort of like a, the wrong way to look at it. Cause like North Carolina below their averages, like their other opponents are Florida, A&M, App State, Georgia State, Virginia Tech, and Miami are below their averages with Ohio State. The other opponents are Arkansas State, Toledo, Wisconsin, Rutgers, and Michigan State. So you sh- even if you were playing poor defense, if you're Notre Dame, you would be below their averages um, just based on the talent that Notre Dame puts out on the field. So, I, yeah, I, I think Notre Dame's defense feels like it's not – a well-oiled machine, but that doesn't mean it's totally broken down either. Yeah. You no, know, I feel, uh, I f- don't you guys ahead, think Tim. it's what Brian Kelly said after the Clemson loss, the, uh, the original one, uh, which one, the, 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 uh, Trevor Lawrence game in, uh, 2018, <laughs> the playoffs when it was Justin Ross and Higgins making the big plays. He said, Got like, it. we've, we played 80, 20 defense, 80% of our plays were good and 20% were tragic. I feel like Notre Dame's playing some 80, 20 defense this year. Like you go through the, if you scored the game, you would, you would have a very high grade for Notre Dame's defense if you don't wait 53-yard touchdowns, right? Like, yeah. this play you was know, good, this play it's, was good, this play was good, this play was bad. It's funny you should say that, Tim, because when I did my, you know, normally I do it mid-season when the, when the break comes, when it was four games, I, ha- I always say this is the average grade and this is my adjusted grade. Okay. And the adjusted grade was definitely worse than the game-by-game grades because of what you're saying. I do have some numbers here as to what Notre Dame's defense does well. They're 18th in the country at 3.0 sacks per game. They've only allowed four rushing touchdowns, and that's tied for 20th. They're tied for 36 in total defense. They're 42nd in completion percentage. The last three opponents have completed 48.8% of their passes, and they're one of 37 teams to hold teams to under 200 yards passing per game. So, I mean, those are those are important stats too, but – they're thrown out the window when you hit a 53 yarder. They're thrown out the window when you give a 20 yard run to an average running back on third and 18. I mean, it also, you know, they're thrown out the window when you lose to Marshall and they rush for yeah. more than 200 yards. Um, and it, it, it's one of the challenges for Al Golden is he's following Marcus Freeman, Clark Lee, and Mike Elko, who are all were incredible. Yeah. Uh, they're all power five head coaches now. Um, so he, I think if we rank those four defensive coordinators, we would rank Al Golden clearly fourth, which doesn't mean that he's bad. It just means that he was following guys who are really, really good at their job. Question from Errol Ryan. It is probably unfair to assume Drew Pine will continue to complete passes at 72% clip, but let's say Pine finishes the 2022 season completing 67% of his passes, four to one in TD to interception ratio and leads the team to a nine and three season. What do you think this does to the quarterback room in 2023? Do you still look for a transfer and is Pine the starter next year? Pine is the starter heading into the spring behind closed doors. Um, They would probably announce a quarterback competition because they know they have two starters in Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner. 
As for a transfer, I would definitely get a transfer if he is better than either Buckner or Pine. And if you get that transfer, someone will transfer out. I think that's yeah, a pretty I, good summation. I think that's a fair way to do it. I, I think Notre Dame's got to figure out the whole transfer situation as an institution. Um, but just to answer this question, if I was Notre Dame, I would still try to take a quarterback transfer and let them battle it out. If Drew Pine is better and Tyler Buckner is better, great. If you can find somebody who's better than this version of Drew Pine, who with 67% completion percentage and a four to one touchdown. Great. That's, that's great too. Just try to make that position as good as you possibly can make it every year, all the time, no matter yes. who you, oh, well, whose you feelings you hurt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have to do that. That's the that's the age that we live in now in college football, and you have to do it. You're competing against USC with two dozen transfers. I mean, there has to be some type of adjustment on Notre Dame's part if you want to continue to compete at that level. Another possibility, of course, with regard to the quarterbacks, is to still get a 2023 quarterback, and that seems to be spinning its wheels. There was an opportunity to bring a guy in. Uh, this weekend it's committed elsewhere and then that fell through. So I'm, you know, that's still fluid though. I, I, yeah, I still think that, you know, it's like every couple of weeks we have a, a new batch or another quarterback uh, that this is a possibility. But again, we're talking about like, it's, like if you want to get a transfer, how are you going to get somebody that now has to, to compete with one guy that won a starting job in the preseason and the other one that is a starter and is doing a good job. I mean, I'm not sure get- exactly. You'll get Jack Cohn in that situation, do you? <laughs> no, I no, I wouldn't think so. I yeah. mean, the, the door was open for Jack Cohn, and so he walked right through it. But that scenario that I just said would would clog things. So it's they they have not handled <laughs> they have not handled the quarterback recruiting well. And and when I say not handled, you know, sometimes you're you're dealt a bad hand too. Things just don't work out. Dante Moore was ultimately proved to be the wrong guy to chase obviously right so um you know you go back to the drawing board and do what you can question from caden mc is there a lesson for tommy reese to learn from the buckner pine preseason ev- evaluation and if there is what is it there probably is and i don't know uh what can be gleaned from it there's there are very few people if you've got 40 people involved in the notre dame program and a 40 people that analyze them and do things like that that would have said, I think Drew Pine will prove to be the better quarterback this year than Tyler Buckner as the offseason progressed, right? I, yeah. No, they're very I, few. I mean, there's, there's, there's somebody out there, but this is a, it's a, t- I mean, Tyler Buckner brought a lot to the offense and it's not only upside, it's that kind of like I pointed out the, the offensive line and the running game were terrible the first two games and Tyler Buckner had eight or seven rushing first downs or the rest of the team had three against Marshall. Like he was carrying them. Obviously drew pine that it's, it's operating better under drew pine, but the offensive line is operating much better as well. Yeah. I, it's a great question. I'm, yeah. I would be fascinated to sort of like have six beers with Tommy Reese and talk about this. Um, Cause it's, I got to think he looks at it and he's like, is sort of trying to reverse it. Uh, Pete has frozen up on there uh, on us, but I, I, we'll get him back. But I, l- let me throw this in that. I mean, it was it was hard to choose Drew Pine in the preseason because it would 
it would so stunt the development of Tyler Buckner. Look, you felt comfortable. I think you felt all along that you could comfortably, hey, if something happens to Buckner, Pine's the kind of guy that you can bring off the bench for a spark. And if you have to play him long-term, well, then you, then you have to play him long-term. But to start the season with Buckner on the bench and with Pine, it just, it just didn't feel right. Uh, it just didn't seem like the best way to handle the personnel that you had in terms of, you know, the, the balancing act Buckner needed to play. He had to, he had to, he had to go out and throw the football in game competition in order for you to know what you had, you know, you know what I'm talking about, Tim. Oh, I'm I'm completely with you. I I think what you're saying makes sense that roster management, room management, team management, everything, but also, they chose pretty early, right? It wasn't that incredibly close of a competition. Now, maybe they chose early to be prudent, like, you know, people on a message board, and we will agree, we'll always say, you got to choose your quarterback and get him going. You got to get the reps. Go let him start for three weeks. Don't don't drag this out. It didn't drag out. No, it, it did a little longer than Jack. It went a little longer than Jack Cohn and Drew Pine, which was not even real, I don't think. No, but no, that was not. But look, we yeah. even, we... We quite we behind closed doors said, do you do you really think Buckner won it? Do you really think he won it, or was it just pulling the trigger and move in the direction that you felt most comfortable with as far as who would be the first starter? It seems like would be such the a natural direction to go. Tyler Buckner yeah. being the starter. No, it's a good. It's a. It, I mean, it's a good question. It's a. It's a yes, legitimate it's question. The great. But question. I think I think most coaching staffs would have gone in that direction knowing that hey if we have to go to pine pine's the perfect guy with the perfect demeanor to come off the bench i'm not sure that you you don't say that about tyler buckner you had to get tyler buckner on the field and see what he could do and play him pete we all finished your thought you froze up during that one we're uh no i just i it would be fascinating to talk to marcus freeman and tommy reese about this question in like february to figure out like, okay, did we, not that we misevaluated it, but did we not have training camp set up in a way to bring out of Drew Pine what clearly he's showing the last two and a half weeks? Because um, like that's, that's what practice is for, to like yeah. get your players in the best position to succeed. I, I don't, I don't, they may come to the determination like, well, we, Drew Pine wasn't ready to be the Drew Pine that he was, for, that he is right now. That's, that's also a possibility. I would also, again, I would throw in that Drew Pine was probably better in practice than we realize. I, I don't have anything yeah, to validate possible, that. It's also possible that Drew Pine was operating behind an offensive line that looked like Tyler Buckner's during that's practice. True. So that, that wouldn't true. make him look too good either. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Question from N Jeffers with further evidence showing that the Irish don't totally suck along the first, Along with further evidence that Marshall kind kind of does totally suck. They lost again last night to Lafayette. Has your opinion evolved on what happened in that fateful week two matchup? It was, I mean, it's just a terrible performance. I mean, yeah, it was bad. It, it was it is it I'm amazed how quickly it's probably displaced uh Michigan in 2019 in terms of like what the hell was that? Well, um, they were good. Michigan was good. Yeah. We thought Marshall was good. Marshall was really good on that day. Um, You know, it's like, it's a bunch of teenagers running around playing football. They don't always get the same thing every week from them. Um, I think that Notre Dame underestimated Marshall and probably felt better about itself coming out of Ohio state than it deserved to feel. Um, 
first time head coach in his second first home game. Um, probably a lot of factors involved in there, but I, I will say this, the worst, the Marshall result looks the rest of the season, the better it is for Notre Dame, because that means Notre Dame is playing really good football and it will make the Marshall game more frustrating. It would be worse if by the end of the season, Notre Dame was six and six, we're like, well, they lost to Marshall because Notre Dame's not very good. That's yeah. true. I, you know, yeah, that's true. Um, I, I had this from a good source and I think Marcus Freeman said it. That's not who I'm referring to, but they invested so much in Ohio state. And then the reason I asked the inexperienced question after the Marshall game was because Nordy missed, they missed on everything against Marshall. They were unprepared to play quality football. So you combine what they invested into Ohio state. And then it, you know, I mean, the fourth quarter, you felt like you were in it. You felt like you could win it. And then by the time the game ended, you didn't feel like you were really in it and down the stretch. So they invested a lot. The inexperience of the head coach, I wasn't being accusatory when I asked it. I thought it was just obvious with the way that they, they misfired in, in every aspect of the game. Notre Dame invested everything in Ohio state and Marshall played Norfolk state, which they didn't even have to prepare for. So I don't really they, even I don't really blame Notre Dame for investing everything in Ohio State. No, I don't. Still, no, I don't either. Been able just, to Ball State, Marshall, you could have beat them by ten. Right, but you, but but you did, you didn't have a head coach that knew how to get, get the, the team it. back, yeah. you know, to it. And again, it's not being. I'm not trying to be critical of Marcus Freeman. He's just a he was a new coach, and they they misfired on everything they wanted to do. So I you know like. I look back on it the same way that I thought of it at the time. It was, it was all, it was a confluence of those things. And it's a really, really bad loss, but I am surprised Marshall can't beat anybody. I will, I will add that to the question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me that they can't beat anybody. Now Lafayette's a good program. They lost to Troy. That's a good Sunbelt program. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Yeah. Stop. They can't go there now. No, next. Do you want me to read the next question? <laughs> Those are the best teams in the Sunbelt conference. I'm not saying they're on the level of Notre Dame, but they just lost to two of the three best teams in the Sunbelt conference. They played good competition they're going to win some games because there's yeah, some the bowling green teams game. On their the bowling schedule. green game yeah. was let down but there's a lot of things going on that marshall's finding a way to you know that's the thing the bowling green down is a letdown but that's supposed to be a letdown where you don't cover the spread like notre dame wasn't supposed to cover the spread against marshall they certainly weren't supposed to lose well how'd we pick that game i know but that we, oh. we early on we were all over the not covering the spread i know i know i mean it was one thing to pick Never uh, once Notre Dame to win and not cover, and then we chose, then we chose for them to cover too, which is, you know, Bad. rookie. It's a rookie rookie mistake in my forty first year. <laughs> it's like a rookie head coach. We were in that yeah. game, <laughs> yeah. right? It was my inexperience as a <laughs> prognosticator. <laughs> Next from Andrew Douglas. Douglas. Is bluffing your defensive look and or shifting when Notre Dame changes the play, the next progression and how teams try to stop the scan offense? I really like this question because I knew I didn't really address it when I wrote the scan offense story early in the week. Um, and I, I wasn't able to get feedback on it from Tommy Reese. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a topic that he wants to go in depth on uh, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's working for them. But, but my reaction to this, to this question is the reason that a defense can't then 
can't then look over to the sideline and make a readjustment is because you don't know when Notre Dame's going to snap the football because, as Marcus Freeman explained on Monday, there are four different levels of tempo. And it's one thing for the offense to look to the sideline to get the call, but it's hard for the defense to do that. I think it happened against North Carolina where the defense was looking to the sideline to see how they wanted to adjust to Notre Dame scan. And they got their linebackers were caught looking sideways when the ball was snapped. I think that's, I don't know if that's a full explanation for it, but I think that's one of the explanations that the defense can't, they don't know when Notre Dame is going to snap it. So they can't stand and stare at the sideline like Notre Dame can offensively. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, it's kind of how Reese like to play as, as a core. Tim, he's, uh, he's freezing up again, jumping there. It's a, I just like the fact that we have something to call Tommy Reese's offense right now, five games in, because we weren't calling it anything catchy at this point. Well, uh, and if Jason, if Jason Garrett doesn't say it, we're, we're not right, but it's a, it's a great, it's a, and then Marcus Freeman gave you, I thought a really good follow-up that there's, there's multiple types of tempo we can do. There's, and I love the fact that they go to the line and don't have a play call and then have a play call from the look. I mean, it's right. I love it. And I hate it. Cause I have to watch them pre-snap for 25 extra seconds, but it's, it's good as a Notre Dame, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're a Notre Dame football fan, that it's really making the offense work. It's, it's tough to stop, but I mean, every, someone's going to adjust. I'm sure Clemson has a plan in place right now. They're working on every, I mean, for the history of college football, there's always an adjustment. Now you don't know how long it's going to take to get to it because it takes, you know, great insight and, and a lot of work and study, but well, I mean, I'm sure Tommy Reese didn't, he didn't invent the scan offense, but he has gone to this and it's worked for him. They've gained almost 1100 yards the last two games. You know, now they need to get in the end zone, they need to follow through in the red zone, but it's just something that's, it's, it's helping them. It is helping them. Any Davis too. After the first two games, the big question is why Chris Tyree got so few touches two games later. The big question is why Tyree is getting any, that is not my question, by the way. Why do we why do we do this and how many touches do you think he actually deserves? Yeah, I mean he played really well against North Carolina and what it's you're just going game. to abandon him then. However, there was a point in the game where obviously Chris Tyree was not playing well. Now I think he was I think he was probably banged up even before we saw him limp right foot ankle. Uh he dropped the pass. There were times in the game I oh. think I may have said to you Tim that okay put one of the other running backs in the yeah. game because he's not, he's not playing well. So you that can't, happen. I mean, you can't abandon him. He just played a great, he played a great game against North Carolina, but I do agree from the standpoint that he probably should have got less snaps as the game evolved against BYU. I mean, it was, <laughs> he was last in snaps among the running backs last week. I agree. He didn't play that well. I think towards the end of the game, they leaned into the digs and estimate. So Thought the the rotation sort of bared that out, but like, I'm just like abandoned him after he played well against Cal and North Carolina. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. And on a reread of any Davis's question, he was not suggesting that because he even offered, "Why do we do this all the yeah. time?" I don't know why um, we do this. I, I do think I, I think one running back is going to get abandoned in five of the next seven games because it's hard Probab- for, hard for all three yeah. to be rolling like they were against North Carolina. At some point, you got to look in the second half and say, "These guys are hot. Let's go." Well, the only way all three are rolling is if you're approaching 600 yards total yeah. offense right. and right, right and scoring in the 40s. I mean, that's that's probably how it works. But I think we said that 
we said that in our instant analysis after the game. I mean, most of the time it's going to be one or two backs in a game, not three, in, unless you're just blowing somebody out, which could put eh, – I'm not going to say it. Go ahead, Tim. <laughs> Mac 341, does Jaden Thomas repeat his performance from last week? I don't know. I mean, you know, you hope, yeah. Well, I mean, you hope he builds on it. You would hope that he comes out of that game and says, "Yeah, I am pretty damn good." But you know, it's. I mean, it's been so hard to get consistency a wide receiver. I'm not going to treat. I'm not going to take. Look at three receptions, albeit three really good ones, and say, "Okay, he's arrived." I Zero think catches, that, one target would be bad. That would make me. Yeah, bad. yeah. I think three, like he only had three targets in the game, so it wasn't like he was featured per se. But you know, typically moving forward, three to five targets per game. I think that's that's reasonable. I did um, ask Tommy Reese this question: that do you, when someone has a game like that, do you look to keep them involved the next game? By, I don't think I don't think Braden Lindsay, Lorenzo Styles, maybe maybe a little more him and Jaden Thomas are targeted primarily like we have to get them involved at all like they do michael mayer so i was just wondering right it's part of a progression as yeah opposed it's to all i said is it a function of the offense he's like yeah. yeah it's more of a function of the offense but yeah you know maybe what you, you make a play like that let's see if you can make another one certainly you, you take another look at it and I, he best described it by saying you know we took a shot in game number two that was against marshall and he wasn't and it didn't work so that was they haven't taken the shot since then now i bet they yeah. take another shot because Jaden thomas made that play and he right. did mention this will be going in one of our features on Friday it is on him he said to get Braden Lindsay involved he said Braden Lindsay has done everything he asked him to do he pointed out and I put it in my film review that he was on Jaden Thomas's really nice third down conversion Braden Lindsay ran a crossing route dig route 15 yards deep where he was open for three seconds nobody anywhere near him he's like Drew Pine has got to throw that ball to Braden yeah Lindsay. well that's good yeah that's good but but you know there's a there's a five-year pattern here that we're no, looking at. I know, that, I know. but I, I think he's getting, I think Reese sees him more open and we are bearing him. Probably. Bit, no, you know, probably that, true. Probably, yeah. probably true. Question from Statman72. In theory, Stanford and UNLV should provide Notre Dame opportunities for little used players to see game action. Which players are most likely to benefit if that is the case? I think increasingly used guys as opposed to little like Holden stays could be again in the passing game on more than one play. Maybe Eli Raritan is part of that first and goal at the eight all of a sudden, as opposed to just blocking sure. those, those type of guys. I, I don't highly think recommend all, that. I do too. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's a guy that hasn't played. Uh, Prince Kali and Tobias Merriweather. Yeah, there's a good one. Well, Tobias would be nice. That's a, that just so you could have a lot of followers, Pete on this podcast. Now that our name's playing well. We don't ask about Tobias Merriweather as much. Yeah. <laughs> They do know. need, you know, I any mean, Davis too. Why do we do that? Why are we like this? <laughs> we do have to, uh, I mean, they do have to, um, when there's an opportunity, like, I, I mean, obviously don't, they don't feel comfortable putting Tobias Merriweather in a game to, I mean, other than, um, like a decoy has been, you know, yeah. kind of that, um, got but when the games, yeah, times. when the game's on the line, they haven't been comfortable. So they need to be in a situation where the game isn't on the line. And they can let him run around a little bit and feel his oats a little bit and feel good about himself. But uh, you know, maybe maybe Barnes, maybe Barnes gets a little bit more. We uh, Marcus Freeman talked about two Alamaca and the possibility of that happening this week. Collie certainly. Most of the Dean linemen play. Maybe you get more of Aaronsberger. K and I is still a little ways off, but I think that he's getting closer. Not for this game. Um. 
I don't know. Heck, maybe Jabron, maybe Jabron Payne. Yeah, I wonder if he'll get in to just save them a little bit of, along the way. Right. Of those running backs. Yeah. Who are we missing? Mitch, how about Mitchell Evans? Not really the spirit of this question, but. Right. Someday. Is he? We didn't He's ask not about him. Yeah, He's not we, didn't we asked ask about him. him. I asked about him. Tommy Reed. Uh, yeah. By the way, Tim, why don't you tell everybody you asked about Cross and some others? Oh, yeah. Howard Cross uh, did not practice Tuesday, did practice Wednesday. <laughs> Freeman thinks they'll get something out of cross. Um, I would tend to agree because he's a defensive lineman. It's the bracy one. I don't really, I don't see that happening, but maybe he's a superhuman hamstring hamstrings and groin injuries for corners. They don't usually pop right back in no matter what anybody forecasts. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I'm not going to go there. I'm not, I'm not going to keep speculating about Nordin winning by a large amount here. We'll, We'll see what happens with, with guys getting in question from Kaiser Wilhelm. We've heard many, many times over the years that David Shaw will never be fired. No matter how poorly Stanford plays a year ago, we would have said the same thing about David Cutcliffe, Gary Patterson, or Paul Christ. How confident are we that Shaw is still untouchable given how crazy the coaching market has been? Very confident. It's, I just don't, the appetite at Stanford for winning is not the appetite for winning at Wisconsin. So it's right. not, it's just not a, it's not an apples to apples situation. Um, so that I think David Shaw is in, he'll coach at Stanford probably as long as he wants to coach at Stanford. Yeah. I, asked, I mean, yeah. I asked Jackson Moore, our insider, one of these questions for Stanford and his responses should illustrate it pretty well. While fans are surely not pleased by how the last two seasons have gone, they also don't expect the Cardinal to be the type of program to make a move. The men's basketball coach was just brought back for his seventh season despite no NCAA tournament appearances, which would suggest they won't be quick to get rid of Shaw after all of his previous success. All right. Let me, and I, I generally agree with that, but let me throw out one name. Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson at Stanford would be a really, really good fit. Uh, I'm not just making that up. That's okay. That, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not just making that up. I if if they if they were inclined to make a change, they might look Chris Peterson's way. But having said that, I mean, <laughs> you know, the Buddy Tevens, Walt Harris era is is still fresh. Those eras are still fresh in in mind. Um it's Stanford, man. I mean, they don't make a huge commitment. I don't know how they got as good as they were, you know? No, it's incredible. I mean, look at this. <laughs> they, if Jim Harbaugh's last team was was awesome by the end. Like, if you played a four-team tournament, that was a problem. They were a fantastic yeah, football team. I mean, the they ran the ball and they stopped the run. They were They were – okay, let's put it this way. The sustained success <laughs> – that David Shaw had at Stanford was the best since. It's sustained. Jeez. Pop, Pop Warner. Pop Warner. Yeah. Pop Bill Warner. Walsh didn't have the sustained. Yeah. No. So, you know, I, and, and, and the lack of uh, to recruit at Stanford, I mean, Notre Dame doesn't even really recruit against Stanford anymore, uh, but they used to, and they were losing. Paulson and Debo. They were, yeah, they, they yeah. were losing, losing fairly frequently. So, I you know P- Peterson's a name. If, if they decide to go that direction, that that might be somebody that uh, that they would look at. The last question comes from N Benny Boy. Which place do you enjoy visiting more as a reporter, Vegas or your stay in Southern California? Go ahead, Pete. Uh, 
I mean, my write-in vote would be Northern California over Vegas and Southern California, but um, I'll still go. The and travel the gods also means the season also means the season is over, which like when you get off that plane in California on Thanksgiving weekend, that's a beautiful feeling. It it really is, unless uh, the head coach decides to leave for LSU. <laughs> then it's not as and- good. Then it's then it's not as good. Uh, I mean, Vegas is Vegas is awesome. I don't know that. I mean, it's kind of sensory overload, and I love the kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's it's hugely sensory overload. Um, going to Southern California, I do. I think I think obviously Northern California is awesome and beautiful, but I like finishing the season at Southern Cal. That's my favorite by far. I, I, and I had a great time in Vegas. Um, I mean, it's I, where I, we stay. It's part of it is where yeah. we tend to stay. I'm not going to be. It is more relaxed too. I mean, I wasn't totally relaxed in Las Vegas. I was doing a lot of things, going a lot of places. You almost felt guilty when you were relaxed, like trying to sleep in Las Vegas and do things. There's, there's a lot of masters to serve in that yeah. situation. Like, you know, Pete. All right. So Pete and I went out or priest. We priest or we went out Thursday. Pete and I went out with Fortuna and Dan Ernst on, um, What's the date? Friday. Friday. And Pete wanted to go home Friday. So Pete goes home Friday and I'm out. And then Pete, after the game, is like, are you coming out on Saturday? I'm like, no, I was out last night. And so there is this, there's a lot going on in those situations. Priester, you were out Thursday. Like, I'm not going out Friday. I was out Thursday. So well, look, I'm, really on, run I'm on Eastern time. I, but people are talking <laughs> about having dinner at 10 o'clock, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock Vegas time. I mean, come on, man. I'm an old man. How the hell am I going to get through the weekend if I do that? I do want to say that for any Beatles fans out there, uh, we, O'Malley and I, we had an opportunity to see the, the uh, Beatles love the Cirque du Soleil performance. It's a, a surprise opportunity. That was the cool part. A it was a, it was a total yeah. surprise. And as a, well, I got a, I got Beatles stuff all around me here in my office. I, that was, it was, I mean, it was talk about sensory overload. Cause yeah, you don't know what great. to look at. It's just, you know, it, I mean, and everything, of course, is accompanied with Beatles music, which makes it awesome. But uh, if anybody ever has a chance to see that, in addition to Circus Sports, which is a, an incredible place, uh, that was a lot of fun. All right, predictions for the game. Uh, I think Stanford will score a little bit, um, I, but they cannot stop the run. So Notre Dame's win should be inevitable and getting into 40 point territory should be inevitable i don't think this is going to be like certainly not going to look like georgia tech last year but probably similar to stanford from a couple years ago uh so 42 17 i think drew pine will play well the Notre will run the heck out of the ball um and stanford's good for a couple touchdowns so learning 42 stanford 17 Yep, I was right in that range. I was 41-17 when this podcast started, but as we went along, I thought arduous. We're probably anointing it too much right now. We're calling it an offense that Tommy Reese has invented and others are going to have to take years to to catch up to. So I'm thinking that Maybe they're not always going to be in I'm that not five saying or six. That. I know. I'm, I'm not saying that. Are you saying that okay. we are jumping? I think we could be <laughs> jumping the gun a little bit, but I, I really think Notre Dame is going to score on them. I, uh, I think the red zone can continue to be an issue for Notre Dame because they have to be so perfect down there with what's going on. So I'm going to keep it in the 38 to 17 range. Um, and I would go as high as 38, 20 uh, with Stanford. You just, I mean, Notre Dame's still a work in progress in many ways. And as I mentioned, you're missing four of your arguably 16 to 20 best players possibly 
from that yeah. unit in this game. Well, Stanford's missing some offensive linemen. Hey, sure. I'm glad you brought that up though, because there were, I said in segment one that there are a couple stat, a couple things that Stanford did well. One of them is red zone defense. Yeah, yeah. It's... And I, and I, I mean, how, do, how, that, how do you explain that? I mean, they're, they've given up nine touchdowns and 19 entries. So they're like 27th in the country percentage wise. So weird, that's... weird stuff happened. Like I have a story coming out on this. I asked Al Golden because I track, this is an accidental uh, story. We track rush efficiency and I was doing it like, man, they have a lot of goal line stuffs. They really stuff people a lot at the goal line. First down, second down, third down. But not so much on fourth down. And I think it's uh, it's kind of strange, really, that Notre Dame has that many wins, Al Golden calls it, but they're giving up touchdowns on fourth right. down and sometimes yeah. on third down. Stanford's probably no, that's keeping good, teams just far enough away and they're kicking field goals. That's a good story angle. The other stat is that on third down, uh, Stanford's 30th in the country, only giving up 31.8% conversion rate. Now, now, that may mean that opponents don't get in third down very often because it's – yeah. Yeah, right? that's but that's, still that's I mean Notre Dame does though. Notre Dame gets in third down very often. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So those are a couple areas where they've excelled. It's kind of contrary to everything that we've said about them defensively. Uh, but we will uh, I will have my prediction in the preview on Friday and until Saturday when O'Malley and I gather in Notre Dame Stadium at night. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider.